All right, let's get into the Word together. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 17. You can turn to Exodus 17. Last week, God provided His people with manna from heaven. We learned that God can meet all of our needs. This week, God is going to provide water for His people who are stuck in the desert uh, with no water. We're learning why God would lead us to desert wilderness places, hard places, painful places, why he would take us there and why he would leave us there for longer than we would like. We're learning about why God would lead us through trials. Maybe when uh, problems come into your life, like the rest of us, you are very disappointed with them. Maybe when hard times start, your first reaction is, great, now this, Uh, join the club. Because no one really likes it when life gets harder. Even if we know God's doing something, our first reaction is always, why me? Why now? Why this? Now, uh, DirecTV knows that nobody likes when life is hard. So they came up with this ingenious commercial um, about people who still have cable, and they mock those people as people who must love problems in their life. It's my favorite commercial currently. I want you to see it. Check it out. This is the commercial. DirecTV has been rated number one in customer satisfaction over cable for 17 years running. But some people still like cable, just like some people like pre-shaken sodas, (laughs) having their seat kicked on an airplane, being rammed by a shopping cart, sitting in gum, and walking into a glass door. But for everyone else... My favorite is the sitting in gum lady. Like, anyone would ever get up after sitting in gum and be like, best day ever. Like, I love these... No, and I love how that commercial just shows what's universally true. Nobody likes those things, right? Nobody. Nobody likes walking into a wall, uh, and, and nobody likes a trial. We don't, but God keeps taking us to hard places. We're going to see today why God would do it, and we're going to see today how you must respond if you want to pass the test. That's what we're learning today. Let's pray, and then we'll be encouraged in God's word together. Thank you, Father, that you show us why. You show us why. Why you would let life get so hard. Why you would leave it hard for so long. You show us, Lord, why when we just get settled and everything seems good, something new happens. A relationship blows up. Financial need comes about. A doctor's visit goes poorly, and we wonder why. Thank you that you give us in your word not only promises, but you give us pictures of what you're doing. And as your people are stuck out in the middle of nowhere here, you're showing us a picture of what you're doing in our lives. So help us to see, help us to hear, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you in Exodus chapter 17, verse 1? Here we are with Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness says this, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Hey, the first thing you can jot down is this. Expect God to test your faith. Expect God to test your faith. 
You might even want to put in parentheses after that point, again. Again, they're without water. Again, this already happened a few weeks ago. No water. They grumbled, then they found water, and what happened? The water, do you remember? What was the, what was the water? It was bad. It was bad. Now there's a water problem again. Okay, God didn't get this thing solved yet. Expect God to test your faith. God knows you don't like trials. He will force you to endure hardship. Why? I hope you know why. I hope you know that God has a plan for your pain. I hope you believe that. He will force you to endure hardship because that's how your faith gets stronger. That's why. He wants your faith to get stronger. So he will test it. We know tests are a good thing. Did you hear recently about what happened in Hawaii when they tested their emergency broadcast system? Did you hear this? So, so the story, they're still figuring it out, but I think a night shift supervisor decided to test the day shift folk by, during a, tur- a turnover of staff by issuing a test alert to see if everything went well. Well, one employee was not listening carefully. And so while it said, test, 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 it said, uh, test, 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 which means this is not the real thing, then he issued the, the mother of all alerts, incoming ballistic missile, take cover. Well, someone wasn't listening carefully, and so all he heard was, incoming ballistic missile, everyone take cover, and he hit the alert. He thought it was really happening. That's what happened now. And so, if that was really the case, all the people in Hawaii would have 12 minutes to seek shelter. Good luck. Where are you going to get in 12 minutes? So parents were like throwing their kids in sewers. They didn't know what to do. And and then 12 minutes came and went. No bomb went off, but they didn't announce that it was a false alarm for 40 minutes. People were calling their loved ones, Mom, I love you. This is the last time I'm ever going to talk to you. There's a missile coming. Goodbye. Freaking out. And then finally, they announced that false alarm, false alarm, false alarm. This was just a test. Check it out. They finally put up, you know, this. There is no threat. There is no threat. Everyone just calm down. So when Hawaii tested its emergency alert system for readiness, they failed the test. They were not ready. And they have a lot to learn. We know the value of tests, which is why we test things all the time. We test students. We test our bodies. We test. God knows the value of a test, and that's why he tests your faith to see your readiness, to see your maturity, to see the purity of your devotion to him. That's why he tests it. It serves his purpose. When God tests your faith, there's some things you have to learn. Jot this down. You must endure hardship if you want to mature in faith. It says here in verse 2 that people quarreled with Moses. Uh, They were enduring hardship. God knows that the recipe for maturity is hardship. When God wants your faith to grow, he will send a difficult person into your life. When God wants your faith to grow, he will send a financial need you can't meet. When God wants your faith to grow, you will have a bad doctor's visit. That's how your faith grows. Well, I don't need that. I would, I would be just as devoted to Jesus if he blessed me and gave me everything I wanted. And Pinocchio's nose is growing. Because let's be honest, all right? Just like parents know, if you give your kids everything they want and need, they're worse, not better. 
Uh, if God gives you everything you want to need, you're worse, not better. So that's why he deprives us of things, tests our faith, because that's where growth, maturity, and humility will come from. We have to endure hardship to mature in faith, but they're not. So the Israelites show us what not to do. It says here, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. They grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. Uh, they are blaming Moses for the problem. You let us here. This is all your fault. And we do learn something about endurance during a trial here. Uh, we learn what not to do. So if you want to know what not to do, uh, search yourself and see if the hardship and pain in your life is all causing you to blame other people or God for the problem. If you're camping on the blame, you're not seeing that God's doing something in your heart. All right? We have to resist the temptation to blame, blame, blame if we are going to get the benefit of the trial. Now, hear me clearly, there could be some people who are at fault for your pain, right? There could be some circumstances beyond your control, and it is healthy to admit, you know, that, that there is something outside of me that's causing this misery. Fine. But if you camp on the blame, you're going to stunt your own spiritual growth. Because ultimately, it was God who allowed this to happen to you. And if you embrace that, and say, Lord, what do I need to learn about myself and you from this? Then you'll grow. But if you have the heart of the Israelites here, and you're like, the name of the problem is Moses. He did this to me. Then you don't understand that God's using the problem to draw the heart out of the Israelites. The problem is right in here. Uh, when we try offering some folks counseling, uh, you know, perhaps in a family setting, in a marriage counseling, if one person thinks that the name of the problem is their spouse, right, and I'd be doing so much better if you were different, you're not growing, right? Maybe your spouse does have some areas that they really need to grow in, but if you're pointing across the table to what God wants to change, you're not allowing him to reveal some things in your heart through the difficulty. Uh, we blame shift. We try and get out of the need for God to change us. And if the name of the problem in your life is not you, God has some things for you to see. God is showing you your heart. He's using pain to show you your heart. He's strengthening your faith in the process. And so we can't fall into the trap of blame. Certainly not blaming God. Uh, that's the worst place to lay the blame. Lord, a healthy prayer would be, Lord, I know I'm around flawed people who are going to continue to hurt me. Lord, I know I live in a broken world that will not play fair with me. But I embrace this trial and want you to show me how I can mature through it. That prayer is getting answered. All right? That prayer is getting answered. Uh, expect God to test your faith. You must endure hardship without blaming to mature in faith. Jot this down. You must not quarrel with God. So this is a, a do and a don't. Do, endure, don't quarrel with God. It says, Moses said, why do you quarrel with me and test the Lord? This is what not to do. Uh, this is what not to do. Now, let's just be fair. God is 
making it hard for the people to trust him. All right? In one sense. Just as if, parents, you announced tonight that you were not going to grocery shop for the next month. And in order to test the children's relationship with you, you would expect them to survive on nothing more than water and sofa stuffing. So month-long test. And, it, it, you know, if I do nothing for you, I still want to see how much you love me. So good luck with that. I think by lunchtime, you would have a pitchfork riot in your home because the children will not stand for it. So let's just admit the truth here that God is really, really driving his people to a place of not only need, but life or death fear that they might not make it through the, the day. All right. Now, this is the perfect opportunity for the children of God to turn heavenward and say, you've done it before, do it again. They don't. This is the, this is the illustration here. They have every... Re- they walked through a sea, two walls of water standing up. They saw the plagues. They saw the plagues. Uh... They are following a man whose stick turns into a snake and then back into a stick. They have so many reasons to believe that God can do this again, right? And, and they're folding their arms and doubting, and doubting. Stuart McAllister is a speaker with Ravi Zacharias' team, and I love what Stuart said once. He said, People don't know where their unhappiness comes from. People don't know where their unhappiness comes from. They're so miserable after God did so much. And they don't understand where that misery is coming from. The misery is coming from their soul. It's doubting God again. That's where their misery is coming from. God is pouring out so many blessings on them. And it's like they're sitting under Niagara Falls with a bucket on their head. Asking where's the water? Where's the water now? If they would only turn it up toward the sky and ask God to meet their needs, he would be so willing to do it. Shame on them after they've seen, and shame on us after we have seen so much from the Lord, we cross our arms and doubt him again. Expect God to test your faith. You must endure hardship to mature in faith. You must not quarrel with God. Remember, illustrated here, is quarreling with those in authority over you is quarreling with God. See, sometimes people are like, oh, I'm fine with the Lord. I just hate my boss. Then you're not fine with the Lord. Teenagers are like, oh, I love the Lord. I just hate my parents. Uh, If you're at war with your parents, you're at war with your God. Don't make the mistake of thinking you can rise up against those who are in authority over you in the church, in your home, at your workplace, and, and think Jesus is just smiling on you, all right? Um, they wanted to kill Moses. And it says here in verse 4, So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. His poll numbers are in the basement. I mean, he might not make it through the day. Verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the, what does it say there? Elders of Israel. All right, so why? Why? God has appointed the leaders and the people are rising up against the leaders. So God's like, get the leaders together, bring them out front, because I'm going to do this through them. See? Uh, That 
perhaps is um, something you need to hear today. Don't quarrel with God and don't quarrel with those he's put in authority over you. Um, what does it mean to test the Lord? Well, there's a few ways we can test the Lord. These are bonus notes. You can test the Lord if you refuse to learn a lesson he's repeatedly tried to teach you. You've heard it from multiple people that this area in your life needs to change, but you just won't hear it. You blame them, but you won't let the Lord touch that area of your life. So you refuse to let him correct an area in your heart. <clears throat> Next, you willfully disregard his word. There's a black and white commandment, some area in scripture, and you just won't obey it. So you know, you know what the Lord says, that he wants you to save intimacy for marriage, and you just won't do it. He wants you to find a person and promise your life and then enjoy intimacy with, but you just won't do it. You're failing the test. If God has a black and white command and you just won't obey it. Uh, also, you're failing, you're testing God if you're living a double life. You are going through all the Christian motions and convincing all of your Christian friends that you're the real deal and you have secrets that you're burying. A whole other life. And you think you're getting away with it. And that's testing God. That's going to blow up on you every time. But also, testing the Lord means you're ungrateful and you forget all He's done for you. Uh, you just won't give Him the glory for what He's done, and you chronically doubt Him again and again. That's testing the Lord. That's testing Him. There are many other ways, but those are some. You must not quarrel. You must not have a contentious heart with the God who has given you every reason to trust Him completely. Expect God to test your faith. You must endure hardship to mature. You must not quarrel with God. Jot this down. You must not lose heart. They're losing heart. We're going to die. We're going to die out here. They're losing heart. You must not lose heart. Uh, let me offer some insight here that might be helpful to you. What the people were doing is called complaining. Um, God does allow his people to lament when life is hard. All right, so let me clarify an idea here. The, the word lamenting, and there's so many laments in the Psalms, God invites you to come into his presence and lament when life gets hard. A lament is a heartfelt, faith-filled appeal to a loving God. The Bible says cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Heartfelt, faith-filled appeal to a loving God. He wants that from you. But that's not what the Israelites were doing. They were complaining. What they were doing is they were bringing a heartless, faithless complaint before a disappointing God. That's the heart God will never bless. That's the prayer God will never hear. If you're bringing him a heartless, faithless complaint because you feel he's a disappointing God. He's deaf to you. He's deaf to you. Your prayers are going three feet in the air and crashing right back down at your feet. That's not what he will hear. Without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. And if you're lifting up faithless, heartless complaints to the Lord, you'll dwell in your misery until you learn to repent. You must not lose heart. But if you lift your voice filled with faith, 
And you appeal to a loving God and you lament that things are hard, but you believe he's going to come through. He hears every word. The Bible uses such touching imagery in places to talk about how God cares for us. It says in one place, he catches our tears in a bottle. What a loving God we serve. But he has no ears for faithless grumbling. None. You must not lose heart. I like what a guy named A.J. Gossip wrote. How about that for a name? About suffering. He said, if we are whimpering and sniveling and begging to be spared the discipline of a life that is sent to knock some smatterings of manhood into us, the answer to that prayer may never come at all. Thank God. If you are not bleeding to get out, but asking to be given grace and strength to see this through with honor, the very day your prayer, that prayer, the answer always comes. Wow, what a word of exhortation. Hey, number one, expect God to test your faith. Number two, follow his voice to rivers of life. Write that down. Follow his voice to streams of life. Reading on, it says this in verse 5. People are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking you, with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. You shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Moses is about to get stoned. Let, let's pretend these folks over here in this section are the let's kill Moses and go back to Egypt faction. All right? So just look angry, and why don't a few of you just shout out, let's kill him! Good. Right, hold on now. Hold on. I know you're angry and thirsty, but I have a plan. Now, I'm 80-year-old Moses. Some people are suspecting I'm already losing my marbles, but here's my plan. I'm going to walk over to this rock over here, and I'm going to hit it with my stick. And the water is going to come out of the rock, and then everyone's going to live. Right? This is pretty foolish. All right? And let's just face it. If this doesn't work, if 80-year-old Moses is tink, 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 just wait, tink, the water's coming, he's dead. I'm, right? Like, he's dead because the kill Moses party over there is going to be like, he's gone. All right? We're following a crazy person. He's hitting a rock with his stick saying water's going to come out. They didn't have this story in their Bible. It's not like kids were raised up in Sunday school learning about the water flowing from the rock. This has never happened. All right? So here, crazy man, it tink, 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 and then it breaks. And I don't know how you imagine this, but there's over a million people who need water. So this isn't like a little garden hose. All right, like the rocks explode and the river flows down and the kids are playing in it and the animals and the people all have enough to drink. So this is a river of water that bursts through the rock. And the Lord is standing up on, this is likely not a little boulder, this is likely a rock face of a mountain, and the Lord is standing up at the top providing for his people. It's a glorious image. They got there because they followed his voice to the place he would provide. If they didn't listen and didn't follow the leader, they would have died. Now, there's so much imagery here that we're going to unpack. But if you follow God's voice... It will lead you to life. If you refuse to follow God's voice, you'll die. 
And that's not only in this life, that's in the next life. Re refusing to follow the man God has appointed to streams of life leads to death. What an image. God is leading his people into the desert, into the wilderness. Check this picture out. When we went to the dunes a few years ago, we spent an hour out in the dunes with the kids, and that was enough. I wanted out. They've been walking days without water. They're about to die, and they can't take it anymore. That image of being in the wilderness and needing water shows you your spiritual condition. You need God to come through for you, and he's willing to do it. It shows you a time of testing when God leads you out there to teach you some new things. I love the verse Hosea 2.14. It talks about how the Lord grows his people, and he, he describes his people as like his, his bride, his wife. He was talking about Israel back then, but this is true of the church as well. What does God do when he wants to show his love to his, his bride? Listen, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. It sounds like God's taking his bride on a date. Just try that, guys. The next time you gather up the courage to ask a woman out and you get the date, just go out right into the middle of the sand dunes on a hot day. Just go right out there and be like, I've brought you to this special place to say nice things to you. Here's a flower. No, I didn't bring water. No. Why would I do that? <laughs> uh, who would do that? God brings his people to the wilderness so that he can dazzle them with his provision. That's how God's showing off his love for you. What a thought. Jot this down. Trust God to provide in impossible ways. That's how he shows his love. This idea that God's people are stranded in the wilderness with nothing to drink about to die, that actually describes you every moment of your life. You are in perpetual dependence on God. You just don't know it. Right? If he didn't throw enough gas on the sun this morning, we'd all freeze to death before kickoff tonight. We would be goners. You are every moment depending on the Lord. You just don't see it. So he leads you to seasons where you see it and feel it so you know it's always true when you forget. Trust him to provide in impossible ways. Uh, there were seasons in our life where God really needed to come through in a special way. So when I got married, I was a teacher. Lauren was a teacher. When we first got married neither of us knew that God would call me into ministry. Isn't that funny? We were just teachers. I taught in Plainfield. Lauren taught in Joliet. And a couple of years into teaching, the Lord started burning my heart with ministry. We helped to launch a church plant in uh, Lombard, the western suburbs. And uh, we just started talking about ministry. And, and finally, the Lord opened the door for me to become a part-time youth pastor in 2002. Part-time, full-time teacher, part-time youth pastor. And then in 2004... We had our second child, and we wanted Lauren to stay home with the kids. That was a commitment we made before we were married. So she stayed home, one-income family, perfect time for a career change, right? Two little girls at home, and, and the Lord just burdened my heart. And, and by, by summer of 2004, I stepped out of teaching, which is a very secure job, and into ministry. The church that offered me the job had about 75 people, and they said, we, we can account for about 50% of your budget right now on paper, we don't know where the rest of it's going to come from, but by faith, we want to hire you. And I'm like, whose faith? <laughs> Sounds like my faith. Uh, we didn't know any better, though, so we were both like, this is amazing. Let's do it. This is what God's calling us to do. Of course, he's going to provide. Uh, now we kind of are more grown up, and we look back on that, and we're like, that was unwise. They could show 50% of that, and we got two little kids at home, but God always provided for the church, so we never missed a paycheck. Do you want to see a picture of youth pastor Ryan? Yes. 
Here's Youth Pastor Ryan. Check it out. That's me. Yeah. That's great, isn't it? That was, that was at a youth camp, and we played uh, Capture the Flag all night, and then, and then the last game was Capture the Counselor. And if they caught the counselor, they got to throw us in the pond and then pour flour over our head. It was called Pond and Flour. Notice I didn't get caught. See that? Uh, so, so it's because of the camel. But that's Youth Pastor Ryan. And back in those days, I didn't have any Bible education. I just, God called me into ministry. So I think it was at one of our daughter's dedications that somebody came up to us and said, hey, so you're going into ministry. Uh, are you going to get schooling? And I'm like, yeah, I want to go to Moody Bible Institute, get my master's. And they're like, well, how are you going to pay for it? I said, we don't have a plan. So um, this, this guy said, well, I own a company. Write us a letter because we like to support missionaries and, and pastors. So I wrote a letter. So he sent a check for the whole first year of my school, just right there. And said, so here you go. I was like, wow, it's pretty amazing. And then the second year rolled around and I contacted him and he said, you know, business isn't as good as it was, but by faith, we're going to support you. But then two other couples, uh, people stepped up. We never asked anyone. They just contacted us and they're like, do you need help at school? And I was like, uh, yeah. And uh, so, so by the end of my whole master's degree program, which was like well over $25,000 plus with books and travel and everything, um, we never asked anyone for money, and I didn't pay a penny. I didn't pay a penny. That's miraculous provision. Okay, that's not the way things typically work, but God used the hearts of his people to see a need and meet it without us ever, e- even having to ask. That's one example, and I can give you many examples of when God provided in very special ways. So listen, trust God to provide for you in impossible ways. And if you follow his voice, he will lead you to streams of life where his provision flows. Jot this down. The key is you have to obey his word even when you think it won't work. The idea of following, follow my voice, follow my voice, follow my voice, and I will lead you to life is the same as following this book, all right? Following this book. And if you follow this book, you are going to look pretty foolish at times. You're going to look like an old guy beating a rock with a stick telling everyone water's about to gush out. Water for millions. You're going to look like that guy. In the day in which we live, it doesn't take much for you to be treated like a person who has two heads out in the world. If you tell people you believe in one God, you believe in one way to heaven named Jesus. These days, if you tell people you believe in the biblical description of marriage, one man one woman, till death do us part, divorce is not an option. You're an alien. These days, if you believe in gender that God created, male and female, people will look at you like you're from another world. The basics are being dismantled. If you say, I'm waiting until marriage, as a high school student, I'm waiting until marriage to enjoy intimacy. Where are you from? You will look like an old man striking a rock with his stick, promising millions of people water. You'll be that fool. Will you be a fool for Christ? He certainly was a fool for you. Obey his word, even when you don't think it'll work. There's, sadly, so many times when people come in and they have needs, and we sit down and we work with them, and they will say, my marriage is over, or I've ruined my finances, uh, or they'll say, my kids are far gone. Or they'll say that uh, if this secret gets out, everyone will find out and my life is ruined. And we will say the same thing to them. 
If you believe what God's word promises and you put it into practice beginning now, God can see you through this. Nothing is impossible with God. And there have been people who have walked out of the office saying, I will do whatever it takes to save my marriage. And there have been people who have walked out saying, it's too late. Same predicament, different heart, different ending. And there are people married in this room who shouldn't be married anymore. And there are people from our church who are divorced who shouldn't have gotten divorced because God could have saved it if they gave him the chance. Same crisis, different heart, different ending. There are people who have come in, if this gets out, I'm ruined. We say you need to tell the truth. God will handle the reputation. Trust him to put everything back together again. And some people have. And God has saved them from what they feared would happen. And there are other people who wouldn't, couldn't, won't do it. Same crisis, different hearts, different endings. And it all hinges on whether or not they walk in this word. If you believe in the promises and follow the commands, God can take you through anything. He can walk you again to the streams of rest if you would just follow his voice. Listen, God's provision is waiting right there for you to pour out. Just obey him. Follow his voice. Walk where he's leading and living water will flow into your soul. It will. He can save you from death. Number one, expect God to test your faith. Endure hardship. Don't quarrel with God. Don't lose heart. Number two, follow his voice to streams of life. Trust him to provide in impossible ways and obey his word even when you don't think it'll work. Number three, see that Jesus is your rock in the wilderness. Finishing the story here, it says in verse six, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Are you imagining this correctly? The Lord, the angel of the Lord is standing on top of the little mountain there. Okay. Moses strikes the rock. Water bursts out from it. People drink. The whole nation is saved. And he called the name, Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Um, this image beyond its original context, shows us something that's true about Jesus. The New Testament picks up on this. Check out 1 Corinthians 10.1. We'll put it on the screen. It says this. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, that's manna, drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from, listen, the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Paul takes the image of here's your food, here's your water, and says it's not just the body that was being provided for, it's the soul. This was a spiritual provision of God. And the one, the angel who was among them, standing on the rock there was who? Who was the rock? It was the Lord Jesus. This portrait of the Lord standing on the rock, it says Jesus was the rock. He's also kind of standing on it gives us a beautiful picture of the gospel. Beautiful picture of the gospel. The wilderness can represent a hard time in your life where you need Jesus to come through. The wilderness can also represent your whole life where you're living in a desert and Christ is the only one who can save you. You need to be saved and only Christ can save you. Jot this down. Ask Jesus to save you from death. Ask Jesus to save you from death. He's the rock in the wilderness who can save you from certain death. 
He's the only one. The idea that Jesus can give you water portrays so much more than you're just not thirsty anymore. It portrays that you have your spiritual needs met forever. So in John 7, 37 to 38, Jesus stood up at a feast. And listen what Jesus said. He said, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Cried out. So I got to get loud. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Here, rivers of living water water. In other words, you follow the voice of the Lord, you have life here forever. Long after your body's gone, this is spiritual life that never ends. Jesus alone can give you everlasting life. You follow his voice, you find the life. You don't follow his voice, you die. It's a pass-fail. There's no middle ground. Have you asked Jesus to save you from death? The idea of the rock, this is fascinating. The rock here represents Christ. So why is Moses walking up and striking the rock? We get into some symbolism here, and whenever you interpret symbolism in the Bible, it's more of an art than a science. But it seems to me like the rock being struck. Why is he striking the rock? The rock being struck as a result of the grumbling of the people seems to portray the death of Christ. It, it, how would this blessing flow to the people of Israel? The Lord, the rock, would be struck. That's the cross, would be struck. And from that, the water would flow that could save the nation. What happened when Jesus was on the cross? They drove a spear into his side, and what came out? Water, water and the blood. Isn't that awesome? I see here a... I see here a foreshadowing of the time when uh, the rock would be struck with a blow and yet from that, they think they've got him, and the rock is struck and from that, a river with enough life to sustain people for eternity flows out. How beautiful is that? And that's what you need. You need the Lord Jesus to send life into your soul, life that never stops flowing. This picture is your need of the gospel. Jesus is the source of eternal life. Someone came up to me after the first service and said, I thought Moses hit the rock like twice and then he was punished for it. No, that happens later. Different story. He was supposed to hit the rock this time once and it flows out showing that life is coming. Later he's supposed to just talk to it, right? But instead he gave us a picture of, you know, disobeying the Lord in that. The rock was struck, the life pours out, and God will save you. You know... In Hawaii, people were throwing their children in sewers because of a false alarm. How often we try and protect our children. Don't eat that. Don't put that in your mouth. We're protecting them from harm. And even a false alarm sends us into a panic. And yet the true alarm is going off in heaven, warning us how to get safe, how to get those around us safe, and people are not listening to it. There's, there's a ballistic missile coming. Throw my kids into a sewer. Uh, God's wrath is coming. Should we get to church and hear about, meh, meh, not that concerned about that. This is a forever thing, you realize. Eh. Like, this is worse than a ballistic missile coming. Eh. And people don't hear the real threat. Are you hearing it? Are you hearing it? 
What I'm saying to you today is that if you follow the voice of the Lord to Jesus Christ and believe that when he was struck and died and put in a tomb and rose again, your faith in that can give you life forever. Do you believe that? Because if you don't believe that, you're going to die in the desert. Those are your only two options. Believe it or don't believe it. And the Bible issues a warning that as a minister of the gospel, I have to share with you. It says in Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, which means God is looking into your heart, seeing if you believe this, or if you're nonchalant toward it, or if you think, well, there are many other ways that I can be saved, or if you think, well, that's nice, but it's just old school, you know, I don't believe that, people believe other, if, if you're not running to the rock, you're, you're going to fall dead in the desert. What that means is, they were told in Hawaii they had 12 minutes, all right? I don't know how long you have. Maybe you do have 12 minutes. I don't know. Maybe you have 12 years. I don't know. But the time is coming and the test is real and the consequences are permanent. Are you ready to go to the rock, the only one who can give you eternal life forever? Are you ready? Even though it looks foolish, but it is the way. Or, or are you not? Jot this down. Once you've been saved, ask Jesus to meet your needs again and again. That's why he's there. He wants you to come to the rock again. He wants you to ask him for provision again. Don't feel like you're ever burdening the Lord with your needs. The idea there is that there's enough life there for him to satisfy you again. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what we are supposed to do. That's the life he's called us to. So what we're going to do now is we're going to transition into a time of communion this is an opportunity for you to pray to the Lord who loves you. Hey, if you're saved, talk to the Lord about your needs. If you're not saved, ask the Lord to save you. The ushers are going to come forward right now and the worship team's going to come on the stage and they're going to pass out the elements. But let me give you some instruction right now. The instruction right now is for you to take time to pray to the Lord and to ask him to give you this water that runs to eternal life. Uh, if you are not saved, realize that this is God's provision for you and take hold of it now. If you are saved, burden him again. Tell him of your needs again. Lament to him again. And as the ushers are handing out the communion elements, this is God's way of saying, this is my body broken for you. This is, this is my blood for you. Take it again. Take it again. Let me read to you a quote here from a prayer that really helps us to understand all that we have in Christ. It says this, The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him, or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go one after one, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss. For having the source of all things, he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing. For he now has it all in one, and he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. You have everything necessary in Christ. It's all there. Go to the well again, and again, and again, and you will find everything you need. You can take both cups as the trays are passed and hold on to them. One is inside the other, and I'll come up and we'll take communion together in a